Before we get into today's episode, we'd just like to chat with you about a few things. First, most of the content on this podcast is our opinion, and we don't really do extensive research before the episodes. Second, you may not agree with our opinion, but that's okay. Friendly reminder that you're choosing to listen to this. You can choose not to agree. We still love you anyways. Now, without further ado, let's fuck small talk. Hey, welcome back to Fuck Small Talk. This is an episode we like to call The Rearview Mirror, where we look back over the past three episodes and kind of go over things like corrections or clarifications or things that have been brought up to us where we wanted to talk more about it or just continuations of conversations that we felt deserved a little bit more time in the spotlight. We also want to go over a little bit of the feedback that we've received from our amazing listeners. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for providing feedback. Maybe like if it gets too heavy, we can start talking with like an accent. Maybe that'd be funny. <laughs> but I can only do accents when I'm drunk. Well, you can't even do a Newfie accent? No. And like I can't, I, I don't even know what they're saying half the time. So I don't even know how I would be able to imitate it to my own language. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Newfies, Newfies don't really make sense very much. But I'm thinking if things get too heavy in this episode, I can bust out an accent to lighten the mood. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Like, like maybe I'll just be like, Yes, racism still big problem in Russia. No problem. <laughs> Only Russia have problems. Mother Russia. Like we should have levels of accents. Like Russian is like, hey, break it up a little bit. But then like DefCon Five, where you really need some comedic relief, I can be like, hello, this is Raj from AT and T customer service. <laughs> oh, actually, my name is David. David Smith is my name. <laughs> How may I assist you today? Love it. Oh, you have power podcast problems. Very good. Okay, I can do this. Uh, yeah, this episode is really heavy. I really thought it was going to be really concise and more lighthearted because I was comparing it to other podcasts that uh, their corrections area or their like we're elaborating or the in-between episodes that they do are really casual. Yet, as soon as we started talking about some of these things, they just they got we, we went down like heavier rabbit holes than some of the episodes. Yeah. So um, we might be experimenting with this format in the future but we're gonna at least give it a go for the first uh couple episodes okay we will try no problem <laughs> also uh it's a full circle here for the weather uh our first episode had a thunderstorm and i just looked up from the microphone and it's pouring rain thunderstorms just happen to us when we record episodes i think it's a sign from the heavens like the heavens don't want us to fuck small talk do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it's supporting our intense theme. It's like, yeah. okay, this is the soundtrack to your fuck small talk vibe. It's ominous. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What was that thought that you just glitched on? Your, your, face, your face was just like, they just hit like control delete. And you yeah. were just like, nah, abort. Abort. Uh, I thought of something when I was like, it's a dated reference. People aren't going to get it. There's so many times that happens on this podcast podcast where we go to say a reference or we go yeah. to say a joke and then we're just like, nah, B, let's I was gonna rewind. I was gonna say, you know how like remember that one uh, video was like, had your kids, had your wife. Oh yeah. That's I was gonna say, had your conservative uncles, had your grandparents. <laughs> we fucking small talk up in this bitch. That's great. I like that reference. Yeah. And another accent to break up the tension. There we go. I think I say this at some point in the episode, but I don't know if I want to ruin the tension because some of these conversations, I think they needed more time. We'd, every episode we finished, we were like, oh shit, we didn't get to this, this, and this. Yeah, some of these topics definitely deserve to be elaborated on more and they deserve a little bit more gravity given to them 
because they are serious in nature we don't like we're i think we take things in a lighthearted manner but a lot of the subject matter we deal with isn't necessarily funny yeah to an average person who's not a sociopath yeah like me (laughs) (laughs) that's that was creepy yeah please delete Um, that i don't want people i'll edit it out with my master editing skills yes yes make the edit go snip snip (laughs) (laughs) click click uh on that note so today's episode uh of the rearview mirror will span the first three episodes of our podcast the inaugural three episodes uh do you want to run us through those three episode titles so that we can recall them? Absolutely. So the first episode we did was thoughts on tattoos and cultural appropriation with a special guest, Megan, from your work. <laughs> she is lovely, lovely talking to her. The second episode was thoughts on... Racism and politics. And that was with special guest Michael Manu, a close friend. And then our third episode was thoughts on religion. And new churches. And new churches. And that was with our special guest, Nate Lambert, a childhood friend who also happened to found a church. So uh, so do you want to just get right into it? I would love to. All right. So the first episode we had, which was uh, fun to do, was the, the cultural appropriation episode, tattoos and cultural appropriation. And it was our first recording. Like, I think it was pretty good for our first go at it. Absolutely, and I think one of the th- we did an Instagram before the release of that episode. We did an Instagram live stream. Terrifying. Terrifying. But the one thing that I liked that we touched on in that live stream was we mentioned, and we've never mentioned this anywhere else on our social media or on any of the posts or in the podcasts we've done. So maybe this is a worthwhile time to call this out. Is that between episodes the learning curve is so steep especially since we just started we're just learning more and more about the equipment we're using the softwares we're using we're learning as we go danny's done a wonderful job editing the first episodes but she's also learning on the fly and so the learning curve is so steep bear with us for the first little while we're learning to hopefully as we get through uh, a bunch of episodes the episode quality and the audio quality and the and the kind of the format of how you want to do things solidifies a bit and and it becomes more uniform and just better in in terms of quality so bear with us and thank you for your support so far and so that first episode was tattoos and cultural appropriation and one of the things i realized about that episode was that we never actually defined the term cultural appropriation yeah we fucked up yeah, we <laughs> fucked up on Fuck Small Talk. Um, <laughs> well, because that in itself could have been a debate that we talked about uh, on the episode. And from some of the feedback we've heard, it was something that some of our listeners had to do with other people they were listening uh, to the episode with is define cultural appropriation to better understand the arguments that they were arguing about or debating. Let's say debating. They were right. arguing. It's all positive. It's all positive. <laughs> So I think this is a good opportunity to define cultural appropriation. And I just have Wikipedia open here, which is not the most reliable source, but it's good enough for this. And so the definition of cultural appropriation is the adoption of elements of a minority culture by members of the dominant culture. Later in that article, it goes on to say, it's often unavoidable when multiple cultures come together and cultural appropriation can include using other cultures cultural and religious traditions fashion symbols language and songs and i it's not lost on me that immediately to the right of that definition there's a photo of a person wearing a nat- like a like a white person at a, what appears to be a party wearing a native american headdress as a fashion accessory so i also want to read this one sentence that also is from wikipedia but mm-hmm. uh but it says that it's due to an imbalance of power often as a byproduct of colonialism and oppression 
So I just wanted to put those two words in there as a addition to your definition. Yeah, and those are very powerful words. Those are heavy words. One more thing is that if you just look up the definition of appropriation, it's the action of taking something for one's own use, typically without the owner's permission. Mm. And so you can see how, um, in the context of Danny's tattoo, she feel she felt like she was culturally appropriating uh, Native American culture with taking that dream catcher for her own tattoo's sake. Another thing that I don't think I made very clear on there, now that we've defined cultural appropriation, is that I don't think Danny's tattoo is cultural appropriation. To me, that wasn't at the core. Like to me, at its core, that wasn't cultural appropriation because that tattoo meant something to you and i like i don't think that with that tattoo what you're trying to say is the original meaning of a you're you're not ignoring what the original meaning of a of a sorry a dream catcher is to you you're not saying that that's an invalid definition of what a dream catcher is and mine is the right one you're saying to you specifically that has a different significance than just to preserve your dreams it has a, it's it's a memory and so because you're not saying you're not taking and overwriting you know what i mean like if you're saving yeah. a file you're not overwriting you're just creating a copy kind of deal yeah i don't think that to me that's not cultural appropriation specifically because it does have a meaning for you outside of the culture and I, and i do think if i were to do the steps that i said in the episode of talking to um, an indigenous person and having conversation about my connection to it and if they were to draw it so that i can tell their story as uh, a caveat to my um relationship with dream catchers i think that that still i would say that goes outside of the definition so then you know you could argue that it's okay my trouble with it though is that i i was thinking more like if i put it on my body as that symbol of connecting to me even though i'm still telling the story of the indigenous person who designed it that's not its root thing the root thing is still the connection to me and so like i'd rather understand that root history from their perspective and like understand their tribe rather than just put it as a tattoo on my body i'm just not comfortable i want to learn more about indigenous people that makes sense and i think oh i had a thought and i don't know where i'm going oh i'm pissed hold on more coffee yeah good idea um no i figured it out got it okay uh yes please <laughs> I wonder how that'll sound. ASMR. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> I hate how ASMR is fetishized. Me too. Me. We're just making coffee. Some British tea party here. Yeah, as yes. we talk about oppression and colonizing. Why yeah. oh, yes indeed. <laughs> oh, we do yes. It. Oh yes, old chap. <laughs> to industry. <laughs> oh. No, I think uh, your your tattoo. You make you make a valid point. There's that. So I, ah, fuck, I had a bunch of thoughts floating around my head. One of them was like, oh, no, I got it. Are some of your concerns alleviated if anytime you talk about that tattoo, you were to say, hey, this is what dream catchers are. This is where they're from. This is what the original meaning is. But the so the reason I have it on my body is this, uh. not this is what it means to me. The reason I have it on my body is this, not this is what it means. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah that, that is. And but again, then I'm arguing as myself here. But <laughs> then you're not always going to have that opportunity for dialogue. And so I guess you're more concerned about how to an objective observer, just a random person you don't have an opportunity to have a dialogue with, how are they going to perceive this tattoo? And you're right. I don't know that there's a way around that. 
Which is interesting because we had, I, after our first episode came out, we had some feedback from uh, my friend who now lives in Germany. Shout out Steve and his girlfriend Aisha, who FaceTimed me after the first episode. Bless your hearts. Uh, they asked uh, Aisha specifically, because in the, in the episode I brought up the concept of, of henna and, and the draw, henna drawings that are often done for whoever. And so even, and it applies to your tattoo as well, and Aisha asked a really thought-provoking question. Whose responsibility is it to make it not cultural cultural appropriation? And so we were talking in the episode about how education is is one of the ways that weight of cultural appropriation can be lifted is the education. But whose responsibility is it? Is it the responsibility of the artist or the oppressed to educate, or is it the responsibility of the oppressor to ask to be educated? Who is who's who's the onus on for those things? And I personally, this is my viewpoint because it's how I've chosen to uh, answer that question through action in my own life is to say that it helps when the oppressed point out things or help educate us or uh, open a dialogue but I think it's up to the oppressors to change behavior and and start the revolution of a solution but there is a fair point in here that it's not like that information isn't available the internet is an amazing thing, and you can find this information everywhere. If you really yeah. wanted to learn, you could for sure learn. So in that context, I think the oh, onus for, sure. for education is definitely on the on the oppressor. Yeah, and I think I and I don't uh, mean this chronologically that that the oppressed have to talk up before any change. Like that is just absurd. So I agree with you that the oppressors also have to take responsibility to find out information which actually podcasts have been a huge part of my journey and that is learning information because I understand the uh the conversation that I've heard sometimes is why do I have to keep telling these white people why their actions are um still reinforcing let's say racist uh com uh, racist symbols in the world or things like that yeah that information's out there yeah so Th there's netflix shows about it there's a show called dear white people on netflix oh, it's literally about such that. a good show it's a great show but that information's out there and i think so and i say this to everyone in my life who will listen constantly is i think the world today the biggest problem in the world today is that nobody knows how to listen and really listen and Me so tweet yeah i, I just think listening breeds understanding which breeds empathy which breeds resolution and so i think that's the transgression there and i just don't think that we as a society globally do that enough because if you were to really listen if somebody was feeling like hey you're appropriating my culture and the person who is uh doing the appropriating were to really really listen like you have then i think there's change to be made there just like the point you just made about why do I have to keep explaining to white people why their actions further the already systemic oppression that occurs that's available but you just don't want to listen to it there's so many mediums there's so many outlets you don't want to hear it you don't want to listen to it you don't want to read it you don't want to understand it and even if you are reading it a lot of people get really defensive and they feel personally attacked and then you you get to a point where you're not actually hearing you're, you're reading or hearing or thinking to respond you're yeah. you're getting defensive and so opening up and really truly listening to another opinion understanding somebody else's perspective being empathetic towards that and striving for change is something that are, as a society i so strongly feel that we lack completely and i think that's what you're getting at with with this kind of education concept is that fully it's it's the information's there it's on the person 
who might be in danger of infringing that boundary of cultural appropriation to go and educate themselves. That person who might be on the fringe of furthering the systemic injustice, it's on them to go and get educated since it's not like there's a lack of information. Yeah, and when when I hear the phrase, check your privilege, I've heard a lot of people, uh, white people, get uncomfortable by that sentiment because it's like, why are you attacking me? Like that defensiveness you just said. Whereas I take that phrase to mean just stop and listen. Like just take a breath and just open up your ears, not your mouth. Set set aside your pride. Set aside your sense of self for a second. It's not about you. Nobody's saying that you personally, like uh, nobody's saying that you personally, Danielle, were the one responsible for the almost genocide of an indigenous peoples. Yes. No one is saying that. That's not the issue at all. No one is saying that the cop that's listening to me talk about racism is the racist that's the issue just set aside yourself set aside your pride for a quick second and listen to the bigger picture and that's all it is yes but you're right there's that defensiveness and that um that kind of as soon as there's defensiveness in present situation i to me it just it's closed off there's no sense furthering that Mm -hmm. conversation with that person because they're not listening to you and it's going to be a terrible segue, but speaking of Germany, one of the other things you said on the podcast episode, episode one, was that you have yet to hear of white people oppressing white people. And I, I was thinking about that after, mainly because I've had to listen to each episode so far, I think 50 times, um, because of editing purposes. But it caused me to then reflect and say, hey, but there was a, a major war in the world that had to do with white people oppressing white people. Yeah, and the connection to Germany there is that we're referencing the Holocaust. Jewish people are, are white, and German people are white, and it was literally a, a, a situation of a white peoples oppressing another white peoples. Yes. And so I may, I think, Shay, you made a comment about, or I, sent, I think I brought up civil wars, and, and we were saying that's not what we were talking about. Like, yes, there's plenty of examples of within country white people oppressing white people. Mm-hmm. We were talking more systemic oppression. I want to clarify. I don't think those civil wars within country examples, it's not white people oppressing white people because for the term oppression to even be involved in any any way, shape, or form, there has to be a power imbalance. There has to be an oppressor and an oppressed. Yes. Whereas Great if you point. look at the civil war happening that happened in the States, um, was it about slavery and, and, and freedom? Yes, it was in some contexts. But who, was, who were the leaders of that war? Who started that war? It was privileged white people from the north the union and privileged white people from the south the confederacy some of the soldiers were black slaves black people were involved in the war but the war in its in its core was not between a person of a higher power and a person of a lower power there was not a power imbalance between the two sides and necessarily and i i don't want to say all civil wars but in systematic oppression was not an issue it was just it was just a civil war and i really appreciate that summary i think that was a great context to add to that conversation and as we transition to the next episode that we talk about, I do want to say that once again, we are talking mainly based on our opinions, but this episode is to really bring to light anything that you thought of after the episode or you felt the need to elaborate on. And that's what we're doing here is we're, we're adding additional thoughts to any of the themes that came up throughout the episodes. Exactly. And so on that note, the second episode was thoughts on racism and social policy. Right? Did I get the title right? Uh, I said racism and politics, but honestly, when I was listening to that episode, we we touch on so many very intense topics that yeah. all of them, and they all intertwine and influence each other, so I really wasn't sure what to call it. So I said politics, give it a broad umbrella, but we right. go all over the place. Okay. 
So on that note, um, there was something when I was listening to it back, I talk a lot about, or we actually talk a lot about our childhood uh, in that episode. And and after I was listening to the episode back, I actually, there was a, a comment I said that I don't have any memory of news as a child. And when I was thinking of that, listening to it, I actually do, a memory just popped into my brain of the day that 9-11 happened. Uh, and I have a very vivid memory I still didn't understand the context and the bigger impact on the world. And I was, I knew everybody was upset around me, like all the adults. And I didn't necessarily fully understand why, but I just wanted to clarify that that was a very intense memory for me of news and, and something intense. And, and, and I knew it had something to do with uh, like race. And I didn't understand what the word terrorism meant. And I don't think any adults actually even mentioned that word. Um, but I do remember exactly where I was, what was happening. It, there's a lot of confusion in that memory uh, of what it actually meant. But I still wanted to clarify that I did have that memory. Right. And on the topic of 9-11, I don't have a memory. I don't remember it happening. I like I Because you're a wee babe. Because I was a wee babe. I was six years old when that happened. Um so I don't quite remember it. I was in grade one at the time. What I do remember, and I don't remember the context of like, oh my God, this is a big horrible thing, even though it was. Don't I'm not saying it wasn't. I, that's not what I, the, the most vivid thing that I remember, if I'm really thinking back, is that not even necessarily in my community, but in the community, in the broader community that is people of color, specifically immigrants uh, from Southeast Asia. I remember there being fear, not because of the attack, but because of what the... I'm trying to choose the word wisely, not repercussions, but what the recoil, no, re, the back, the backlash, or the fallout of that attack would be. And I remember there being a lot of fear. And I had a few Muslim friends growing up. And I remember there being a lot of fear. And there was, and I've heard from a lot of them. There was very real conversations around 9/11 about we can't go to school anymore. Like we have to, we have to lay low for a while. Like, and they had done nothing. These are very innocent, very amazing people. But there's conversations around we can't go to school because people are going to lash out of it. Mm-hmm. There's real fear about that. Do we go out in public without our hijab, even though that's violating everything we stand for, but it might make life safer for us. I know I've heard stories of friends in the States who had like, when they were known in the community to be Muslim or Indian even, there were Indian people, rocks would get thrown at their homes or through their windows or the shit would be vandalized because they represented the terrorists in that situation. So my memories and and the kind of things that stick out to me about 9-11 apart from the very obvious tragedy and the loss of life and how terrible an event it is is the fallout for the backlash to brown people on that, that are already here that had nothing to do with the attack and so that's more what i remember i do want to also get at the get at that the kind of thought that 9-11 was terrible i'm not no, in no way do I want to minimize the loss of life, the the tragedy that happened. It's been 17 years since 9/11, and it's still talked about. On September 11th of this year, I saw so many posts on social media about 9/11 um, in memoriam of the victims. It was that firefighter that put on his full gear and went to the gym and on the stair climber climbed the exact number of stairs of the World Trade Center to commemorate his fallen uh, comrades. 
there's there's a parallel here that I want to draw attention to where Danny you mentioned Mike said something very specific in his in the episode can you yeah so when he was talking in one part he mentions uh, that there if there was a shooting in his community that the conversation in the news was oh like in that ghetto like these people they're such thugs like what is this community coming to it was very like based on who was in that community and what they looked like whereas when when a tragedy or a shooting happened in what you could say was a more privileged community or a suburban area um where people's skin color tends to be uh white uh the conversation is very much like oh this tragedy is horrible loss like we need to stop and do a moment of silence like the the theme around that in the news is quite different um where it's it's based like the situation is a tragedy whereas when it's in communities um that have a lot of poverty the conversation is like those people are responsible the people who look like that and and what they represent and it just is it's a terrible thing to that we don't i don't think enough people are conscious of those those things in in how those are paralleled when it could be the exact same crime so i i wonder if you want to talk about the parallel there from 9-11 to what happens globally yeah and i think there is a really key parallel there and i think the interesting part of what what about what mike said is that there you're right there's not only is the media portrayal different the emotional response is different it's 17 years on and people are still emotional about 9-11 and they have all the right to be in the world but the parallel I want to draw is, is that you just made with what you just said is that when a tragedy happens in a, in a lower income or a ghetto versus how it's perceived versus when it happens, the exact same thing happens in a more privileged community. How I want to draw a parallel to how different the perception of loss of life is when it's on North American soil versus, or even Western European soil versus when it's in the Middle East. 9-11 was terrible. 3,000 innocent people died that should not have happened. It is... I don't even know the number off the top of my head because we don't research, but I know it is in the millions of people that have died in the Middle East. Innocent people, not just terrorists. Innocent people that have died in the Middle East as a result of the fallout of 9-11 and of other terrorist attacks. There's entire cities have been leveled. Syria, is half of it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, At one point, Afghanistan and Iraq were heavily, heavily bombed. And millions of innocent lives were lost but you don't see those talked about in the media as much i get that those lives aren't necessarily as relevant to the western world but why not and there's that parallel again of that a loss of life is a loss of life yes. that's why i'm not minimizing the 3000 people that died in, in 9/11 as a as a tragedy in the tra- for the tragedy it is but there's an equivalent tragedy happening every day with the, with the israel palestine war with the the war going on in Syria with the anti-terrorism efforts happening across the Middle East that are leveling cities and the millions of people dying. And I think uh, it just it drew an interesting parallel to how economic status and immediacy of information affects our perception of very core issues. Great summary. And I want to say just to anybody listening, if this causes some emotional reaction from you, like, I'd encourage you to do a little bit more research of what happens globally so that you can understand the entire picture mm-hmm. and can potentially show just as much of an emotional response to the loss of a life somewhere else in the world as the loss of a life to a stranger that happened in the same country as you. Yeah. So uh, I've taken it upon myself to educate myself of what goes on in the world and recovery efforts or things like that. So if you can do anything, even if you just educate yourself, it helps you have a better perception of the world. Helping awareness is a big is a big key there too, which I think is exactly what you're saying. Yes, definitely go research it. Um, 
it seems that in areas of privilege when tragedies happen like i think everybody remembers the hashtag pray for paris thing that got trending the you could change your facebook uh profile picture to be a french flag and anytime there's a tragedy in the western world those kinds of things happen but there's tragedies every day in the middle east and and there's no facebook campaign for it there's minimal hashtags and i'm guilty of this too when i see those kinds of things in on social media and people trying to tweet to raise awareness about those kinds of issues i am guilty of scrolling by sometimes too but it's inextricably i think linked to privilege and economic status where one of the indicators of privilege is economic status and so it's i think inextricably linked where you see areas that have or countries or regions or entire spans that have a higher economic status than other countries those strategies and those issues are more publicized or those are more cared for than in areas of low economic uh, status. In Mike's episode, we talked about uh, economic opportunities available to the young black male in quote-unquote ghetto areas. A lower economic status is a barrier to getting education and getting your needs met at a fundamental level. The less likely you are of getting your fundamental needs met, food, water, shelter, safety, the less likely you are to be able to focus on things like education. The less likely you are to be able to focus on things on education, the less likely you are to grow the economic opportunities that are available to you. If you think about a lot of the jobs that a lot of people our age, I'm 23, I just graduated school, a lot of the jobs that are available, those are only available because I had a post-secondary education. No place would have hired me for the job I'm doing now that pays very well if I did not have that education, right? And so economic status and the... and the shortcoming of having your immediate basic needs met is linked to poor education rates. Um, also, that poor education is linked to the lack of wealth and lack of home ownership, which doesn't feed municipal property taxes because municipal property taxes are how schools are funded. So there's a link there too. And lower funding for schools means poor quality of education. But there's just this relationship between economic status and crime that I think is worth calling out is that there are fewer ways to prosperity for those in poor economic status and that's why people are driven to crime because it is one of the few opportunities available to them mike talks to me personally a lot about how he feels very lucky that his parents kind of gave him a reality check about professional sports because in his neighborhood professional sports is one of those few opportunities that's like i can make it out through professional sports and we hear stories in the nfl and and in the nba a lot about people escaping compton and those kind of economic statuses because of professional sports but the percentage of people that are pro athletes is so small and that's not a realistic target for most people that are in that area and so crime becomes a very realistic and from a young age a very attractive opportunity to to raise your economic status yeah and i i want to i want to get you to credit the video that we t- that led to the conversation that we mentioned on the podcast about housing because I think I'll, I'll hear like yeah but if you look at crime rates you see um, certain demographics uh, have a higher crime rate and it's like well there, it's because they're uh, consolidated in one area well why are they consolidated in one area well because of how housing is set up and so I just wanted to point out that if you have some time to watch this video which is on Netflix yes so there's a show on Netflix called explained it's by Vox uh, I believe they used to have like a 
internet medium for it, like a podcast or like some kind of a talk show called Explained or a YouTube channel or something. But now they're on Netflix. It's a show called Explained, and their very first episode features Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey of the United States. And in it, he talks about um, the racial wealth gap that exists in North America. They focus on the states, but it's true across North America where definitely go give it a listen but the gist of it is that governmental policies in the 20s and 30s and 40s are shaping the economic climate today wherein um or even 300 years ago policies around who's allowed to own homes and land and property and who can and can't get a mortgage shaped the economic status today people back in the day there's this policy called redlining where banks would literally take a map and draw red lines to to denote neighborhoods um where they would and wouldn't give mortgages. Green neighborhoods would get mortgages. Red neighborhoods would not get mortgages. And it was the not racist, racist way of being able to deny black communities from from getting mortgages, which are essential. Owning property and owning homes is essential to growing generational wealth and, and, and creating wealth in communities. So if you grow up in those neighborhoods where policy decisions, like you said, Ashe, from the 20s have made this environment that you don't really understand why you're in it but you're in it and the conversation is criminals are in this neighborhood Mm -hmm. um, and crime is uh, more prevalent then you're going to hear those conversations that Mike mentioned where the police officers come in and say you either do this or if you get into trouble you're considered a criminal and you don't get access to wealth and so if criminal is a common theme mm-hmm. in in your education that you do get or in the community that you are in how are you not supposed to say well i guess i am a criminal if everybody keeps telling me i'm yeah. a criminal i might as well be a criminal like it's just a terrible yeah theme to have for youth growing up in these communities yeah i absolutely agree there's a lot of messaging like mike talked about about what you are yeah do you know that, like so the fact that in every school and priority schools that mike talks about there's armed police officers that are patrolling constantly in elementary school they have monthly visits from pol- armed police officers talking about stuff and the carding the carding was the thing that really provoked this thought in me is that if i'm doing nothing if i'm a person and i'm doing nothing and just my skin color makes people think that i'm dangerous it's so easy for me to be like, okay, well, if I'm going to be perceived as dangerous anyway, just for being myself, I might as well do something. Why not? If and if no matter, even if I could, I could be Mother Teresa, but because of the color of my skin, I'm going to get carded and looked at as dangerous. People are going to put armed officers near me because I'm dangerous because of the color of my skin. It's so easy to give into that, and I think so, especially around kids. A lot of the messaging of "you are dangerous" or "you're a priority neighborhood" or "you're because of the color of your because skin. of the color of your skin" or "because of your economic status," because of where you live or or what you look like, you're you're dangerous. You're a criminal. It feeds into that whole situation. And, that, if, and if you constantly see it reinforced, and this we talked a little bit about the racial tensions in the states, but if you constantly see it reinforced by how police officers and other uh, people of privilege and authority treat you without any background of who you actually are, that is, it just again reinforces this perpetuating culture of uh, divisiveness and, and and what's the point and it's us against them in both contexts. And I do want to touch on the fact that 
uh, Mike told a story about how a police officer uh, treated him when he was pulled over for speeding and then he did go into a little bit about how he felt and and his reaction to getting the ticket but we actually had a bit of an informal conversation with him on the break um, about how Shay talked to him shortly after it happened. Yeah, I talked to him the same month that it happened in 2017. It's now 2018. And, and was his, and I think what he was getting at was that his perception right after the fact was a little bit more intense than it might be now, having dealt with it and come to terms with society and how it's still a little bit wonky. Yeah, so I remember talking to him the month of in 2017 and, and, he was very composed on the podcast, but when I talked to him in the month of, in 2017, I remember him saying the words, man, I was scared. I thought I might die. That thought crossed his head that his life might be in danger. He said he ran through all those black men that unnecessarily lost their lives, that um, the officer, when he came up, had his hand on his weapon and asked Mike if he had any weapons in the car and, and what's going on. Like, do you have any contraband in the car? Do you have any weapons? And so... But it's so real and so raw to me because I've never experienced that myself is that someone as close to me as Mike legitimately felt unsafe for doing nothing more than speeding and felt like he might lose his life for that. And so I think that was worth bringing up is that uh, Mike being the amazing person he is has come to terms with it over the past year and really worked hard to to understand that perspective of why the officer might have done what he did and, and, and how that interaction went down. But I think that raw emotion that was initially showed is a perspective that's worth hearing. Yes. When I was uh, visited by the LAPD in that story that I told on the podcast, my life was never, I never felt like my life was in danger. Danny, when your interaction with police, you never felt like your life was in danger. And, and if you've never had to think about the color of your skin and how it affects uh, your life because you've always had that privilege you may not see these perspectives in your day to day. And so I'm really, I'm not think I'm, I wish he didn't have to go through this, but I'm thankful that Mike feels comfortable sharing these experiences with us. And, and some of the other guests that we've talked to and will talk to feel comfortable sharing their experience because I really want people to understand a perspective that might be different than their own. Um, and we talked about defensiveness early on in this episode, but that defensiveness sometimes from people of privilege of like racism doesn't exist and what about reverse racism is a common defensive a quote that I've heard mm -hmm. and I know Ashe like you sent me a, a stand-up comic and I wonder if you wouldn't mind crediting them so that yeah there's a stand-up comic by the name of I'm gonna butcher his name sorry man uh, his name is Amr Rahman a-A-M-E-R, and then his last name is R-A-H-M-A-N. And he has this bit about reverse racism that I think is really interesting. And it's he delivers a message from a comedic perspective, but he's very right. He's spot on in what he says, is that racism is racism because of systemic, long-term systemic advantages that privilege white people at every conceivable social, economic, and political And so somebody point. telling you, as if, if you're... A, a person of privilege uh, and somebody makes a comment to you and your your line of defense is that's racist to me um, you haven't been oppressed you haven't gone through a history of oppression your life um, doesn't stem from struggle you've had privilege so it's just a it's, it's something to open your eyes a little bit about why the world is the way it is and tying this back to very quickly to a little earlier thing I've heard the argument when I've had this conversation before I've heard the argument made to me that okay but those systemic disadvantages don't exist anymore like those policies around housing have been removed 
one thing I want to why I'm tying this back is that they're removed now and that's great that's a step forward for society society is a better place nobody's disputing that but understanding the impact that a, that a policy that was in place for maybe 20 years in the early 1900s has on the society today those have such a massive massive impact that that is even though it doesn't exist anymore it's a systemic disadvantage that privileged uh, a certain group of people back in the day and so when people talk about systemic oppression that doesn't necessarily refer to policies that are in place today it refers to policies that were in place it's let me put it this way in the words of martin luther king you can't expect a man to win a race when he starts 300 years after the other person that's paraphrasing a little bit it's been a very he heavy episode so far yeah and uh so um i was trying to i'm just gonna ramble for a second we can cut this whole part out but i was trying to find the episode that I listened to uh, on the agenda about weed and criminalization because it also has to do with a racial uh, background. Oh, it is. Okay. So it is Cannabis Legalization is the episode name. It was released on February 8th uh, from the podcast The Agenda. Uh, so it's a, a close-to-home podcast. So it talks about both uh, the criminalization of in uh, the States and in Canada. And they're for two different reasons, both centered around race. And when the oppressors came over and colonized North America, uh, they use that as a method of control. So whether it be around housing, whether it be around criminalization of, of weed, uh, it, like it's all based on control. And so I don't know how we're gonna segue this, um, but I did wanna say that when we say racism doesn't exist in Canada or it's not as prevalent in Canada, I just want folks to just keep in mind that it very much is and there still is policies in place today that that perpetuate these themes and and I'm learning as I go so these podcasts and these uh, resources that we've heard from other people are a way for us to open our eyes to what the climate really is is that a good segue into uh... <laughs> what the climate really is okay where can we add like a little lightheartedness though knock knock who's there was that apple and orange one that I knew from a kid I don't know jokes I'm not a funny person all right here we go here we go yes you are um, what do the Maple Leafs and the Titanic have in common? I think I've heard this joke, but I forget what the punchline is. They, they both, both look good until they hit the ice. Oh! Who? There it is. I've only seen Titanic once. Whoa. Okay, so uh, And I scene. didn't like it. You didn't like it? Yeah, no. Whoa. I found it, like, really overdramatic, and I was like, chill the fuck out. And I'm also really bitter about um, movies centered around a love as like this overpowering thing that no one can function on like the notebook i don't yeah, like like i don't chill. like these movies that it's like i roll at how much icky and gross level of romance romanticizing things is put in there and i'm just like no. you're not like most girls miss granger mm -hmm. another reference that went over your head it's fine mm -hmm. is that um, a Harry Potter reference? Yeah, because well, it's Miss Granger, but like when, when people tell her like she's not like most girls because she's not necessarily about the girly things. Oh, I hate that statement. Yeah. You're not like, you're different than all the rest of them. It's like, let's stop pinning each other against each other. <laughs> We're all different. We all bring unique perspectives and, and things to the table. Our third episode uh, was about religion featuring our friend, religion and new churches featuring our friend Nate Lambert. And I want to say something about some of the... Yeah, it's hella windy. Up in this piece. That weather system, though. Uh, I would like to say an apology 
from Nate's episode because I referenced a lot of what I perceive my family's interaction and feelings are about religion over time and that I, I think I said like now I don't think anybody goes to church and and I think that was a little unfair because because I've distanced myself from uh, my family's faith so much I have then not brought it up as a discussion or a conversation amongst my f uh, family at all like ever since my real removal from that uh, community and so I think it's unfair for me to speak for them and their views on spirituality and their religion right now because I haven't had that conversation so I just wanted to apologize for speaking on behalf of them because uh, they might disagree with what I said. So uh, there's that apology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they appreciate that. I also, um, in that episode, I talk a little bit about Hinduism, but I want a disclaimer and say that my thoughts about Hinduism were fresh to that episode, like the day of. I haven't thought too much about religion and my religion specifically. Um, so my thoughts were were fresh. You'd think I would have thought about it more, but I really haven't. Because my family's cultural experience has been kind of disconnected. My, my, my parents have let me decide when and how I want to be involved. We celebrate big, big occasions like Ganesh was recently. Ganesh is the, some of you might know him as the god with the head of an elephant and the body of a human. Mm. Um, and so he's, he, his celebration was this past week, this last week, um, early, mid, early to mid-September. And so that was one of the things we celebrated. Some, we used to hold like a big worship cer uh, ceremony for our family and friends, a dinner at our place. We don't do that anymore uh, since the kids have kind of moved out. But we used to do that kind of stuff. We were cool. We had parties. It's fine. It's whatever. Uh, <laughs> recently, Hinduism was in the news for uh, – not Hinduism. Recently, India was in the news, uh, I want to say. India was in the news recently for the Supreme Court struck down a 150-year-old law that made it illegal to have gay sex in India. And so that's a big win for the LGBT community in India, which is bigger than most people realize. And it's a big step forward for India. It really is. And the Supreme Court put it very nicely when they said, we can't say that we preach equal human rights when this was this law was in place. So, And I also saw a statement that said that they, it, what happens in the private home and your own life shouldn't be the role of the government to control. And that's a great point. The government does not have that right. And the one thing I wanted to... to draw attention to is that a lot of people are saying what a great progressive step forward for India um, it's kind of like that's one of the things that the western world has that India didn't and so it's I heard the exact word I heard used was westernization of India continues um, I don't like that phrase and that struck a chord to me because I don't know much about Hinduism I'll admit that I'll be the first to admit that but I've done my best to learn more about it since we recorded that episode and uh one of my cousins shared something with me that was really cool and thought-provoking and it was that lgbtq is celebrated in the hindu bible like a, like one of the most prominent gods in the hindu bible it's called it's called the gita cr cross dresses pretty consistently um transgender people are celebrated traditionally in india and in in very traditional ceremonies and celebrations and, and religious works and uh, it's interesting that that's not identified. Really, what what happened, the law that was repealed that banned gay sex is a colonialism law. It was a law that was instituted by the British when they came to India. And so I thought it was just worthwhile pointing out that that is something that the religion brought to 
Indian culture that might not have been a part of Indian culture post-colonialism. So religion, as much as religion isn't for us, I think there is stuff in there that we can support. Um, one of the things you did mention to me, Danny, is that as much as religion isn't for you, there are things that you can relate to in religion. Yes, so um, Nate talked a lot in the episode about wellness and how that he talked about the, the peak struggle point in his life, he realized wellness was not a part of his life at all. Uh, and then once he developed a healthier relationship with his, himself and, and pr- started practicing self-care as a, a recommendation from his uh, religion and his church, that that was a very important theme and message of how they should live their life. Um, he saw the effects of that quite rapidly and how it made his life so much better to focus on self-care wellness and so what i really wanted to say is that i related to a lot of the principles that he mentioned whether or not i choose to adopt the religion um so i think when we talk about perspective and context in our uh, our summary at the end of the episode uh, both ashay and i as people not collect connected to nate's religion we felt we could relate to those themes and hear his story and and have a conversation about it so i found that really helpful because i didn't know going to the episode what to expect as somebody who doesn't plan to convert or adopt a religion in my life yeah one of the things that i don't know was necessarily clear in that episode is that i believe that the teachings and the values and the fundamental things that religion teaches and i think a lot of religions most have their fundamental pillars very much in common the teachings of religion about being good to one another being kind spreading positivity in the world um looking out for each other those kinds of messages i firmly believe in i don't think those are an issue at all i don't think that uh and i think at its core that's what religion really is is is, was created to do is to help teach people how to be better people and i think that's very valuable but i think that modern day religion and historical religion has been somewhat ruined by the interpretations of religion. So you have examples of extremism happening in the Middle East or even in history with um, the Crusades, Spanish Crusades. Um, there was the Knights of the Templar in in the Middle East. For those of you that don't know what that is, please look it up or don't. It's graphic. Um, but really, there's been a lot of religious turmoil. And if you look at what caused that religious turmoil, it wasn't so much the teachings of the religion. It was a flawed interpretations of those of those teachings. It was extremists or devout believers that took things very literally or misinterpreted them or differences in interpretation led to these um, these kind of turmoils. But if you, if you were able to boil down all these religious manuscripts to their core teachings, there's so much in common. And, and I find people get caught up in the nuance of religion. And I, and I think it's interesting with Nate's church, Slate Church, uh, the demographic is largely youth. And, and there's that conversation that I've heard from uh, the older generation that youth aren't connected to religion at all, like religion's dying and they're not carrying it on. They're they're all up in these like Instagram, social media conversations. Why is that important? They should be going to church, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and so we did notice a few folks in the audience when we attended because Nate invited us to attend a service that were older and from a different generation. So I found it intriguing and really wanted to hear their thoughts. So we actually, they were nice enough to give us a few minutes of their time so we could ask a few questions. And I think I would like to hear some of this content on this episode. So I'm gonna interject a little bit of audio from that interview. All right.
we came the first time and, and we were blown away because, yeah, I mean, once you get to our age, I'm sure there's some real dear people in every faith that are very much enthusiastic, right yeah. to the right. end. Right. But we met some people that aren't so enthusiastic. So then you come into this group and and a lot of, I would say a lot of gatherings are wondering, where are young people? Where are they? Like, where are they? Yeah. So we came here and we were overwhelmed the first time. Here they are. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't even, like we told this story a number of times, we could hardly even sing. We were so overwhelmed with the enthusiasm and the real reality, the hospitality. They, they love one another. Right from the minute you come, yeah. like, that's not just a sign. It, they really do believe. Let's, let's welcome everyone here. And, and uh, so it was overwhelming to us. And then the, the singing, the joy, and the connections, the relationship, meeting people like your friend Nate, like right away he was one of the first people that we remember just coming and embracing getting to know us. So they're very serious about the relationship with God for sure. They're very serious about the relationship with each other. So yeah. we were like, there's hope for a new generation. And you really, even like, so this is for context, I've never been to church ever before at all. Oh, you so picked a good one. one. Yeah, I don't go to any kind of church whatsoever. And so um, when you're talking about this is very different from your previous church experiences. Yeah. Can you kind of like explain to me what your previous experiences were like and how they're different from this one? Because I, I have no context I wish to go off on that. Well, for one thing, uh, the Christian church in North America is, is I would say, particularly, particularly some of the ones that have been around a very, very long time, the more traditional ones, yeah. are wondering where their young people have gone. There is, um, and you guys look young enough for me to say this to you without being offensive, but the, the, you guys are so aware of what's real today. Like you're so you're so connected. So yeah. so they don't just want to do stuff because that's the way it was always done. They, they're, yeah. they're they're not really about that. They just want your they just want your truth, and they just want to be excited about it. And they don't yeah. they don't care about the fact that this was hundreds of years of the way that we did things. Because so that that's the main thing is I think we all came from places where we're going where where have the, where's this next generation gone? They don't care about faith. They they don't live on that. Is that real? No 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 no. They're out there, but they're looking for. I, I think one of the things that Slate's really endeavors to do a lot, and Nate's one of the leaders. He'll tell you is to be culturally significant. But the message is message may be a pretty the message of Jesus Christ is a pretty old message right but how it's delivered and the and the, and the cultural significance it's still a culturally significant message to tell yeah. people God loves them yeah. yeah still true but how you deliver it so that's the big thing is this delivery is fresh and there's an and army the of them involved and the welcoming that you feel and the mm. pastors always say come as you are yeah, yeah. 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 come exactly how you are you can you can dance you can sing you can raise your hands you clap whatever there's no set rules yeah you don't have to dress up i'm dressed up for a whole, i was in a photo tank. this is like the nicest thing i had to wear yeah, i think that my my struggle with my benchmark from you know when i was a teenager like the first time I heard them playing after the service, Justin Bieber, secular music, Christian music, and the fact that that legalism is not there. They at don't all. have that thing. And, and, and exactly, and I will never forget when uh, they had a couple of services in January, and the one guy that was preaching, his daughter came up and just spoke some words into people's lives, and she was wearing a Led Zeppelin T-shirt. And my first reaction was. And I had to, I struggled for probably five or ten minutes with the fact she was wearing a Led Zeppelin. And I told my daughter afterwards, she goes, So what? Big deal. 
You know, yeah. the fact that they're, they have they don't have any of that stuff. Any of that, that legal It's like who yeah. cares? So yeah. what? I mean, God was moving and it was, yeah. you know. So, but that's something that you can recognize that yeah, and like absolutely. learn from your daughter. Right. We were well, just yeah. talking about this, like yeah. the goal is as you age as a child and then yeah. like want to give wisdom to your parents yeah. and to have them listen. Yeah. They are yeah. so yeah. much teaching yeah. us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. are so much yeah. and keeping life fresh for us. Like. Absolutely. Which I also think speaks volumes to, to your mindset yeah. collectively to be open to that. So we don't want to be dead. I joke all day. I said, I'm going to tell these people they can record this. I want to go to this young church so people can be ready and strong to carry my casket when they That's not true. I want them to carry me while I'm alive. And that, and that is very true. They, they are doing that. They, they love God. They love each other. And they just... Their minds are keen and alert and learning, yeah. and yeah. they can teach us a lot. Yeah, yeah. they can. Yeah. We're really honored to be with them. And, yeah. So, how do you have a conversation with like people who aren't in your communities that are connected to church, or this specific style of church? Like, how do you explain it to them in a way that? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. That's a really. That's well. We're, I think we're all learning how to do that. People are curious. Well, what is this? Thing? Yeah. Right. What, is, what is this church? And. Um, I, I think. I think, from what I can understand so far, from their encouraging us in the first launch, we only had a couple of launch meetings with all of us. Yeah. They've had it a lot longer, but now we're coming together, and they've been saying, for people that are wondering, um, basically, just that it's a way, it's a group of people that just want to make the message clear that God loves you, no matter who you are, where you are, He loves you, mm-hmm. and um, as I said, the message is still contemporary today to tell them that. And it might—it just might look a little different. It might look a little bit more culturally significant. Like it might—you might walk in there and go, oh, "This this music is stuff that it's, it's like like you guys are so young. We we remember when you don't put drums on in some churches. You put drums up on a, on a stage and, or lights or what's all like that's all just dressing as our pastors yeah. always say. But that would, would freak some people out. Absolutely. So we're just saying, wait a minute. But most of the culture, especially the next generation. They love the music loud. They like the really catchy songs. Oh, yeah. yeah. The music, the music, I was like moving. I was like, oh. And they're committed. Those people are committed. They put a lot of time and effort into it. Like everything they do, like even the way they serve coffee. They just, they want to make the environment welcoming. And, yeah. But it's very culturally, it's not so strange. So that's, I think what we tell people is, come check it out. See what you think. Yeah. See, what, see if you yeah, I think comfortable. if you, if we, I know, when I tell people who already have a church background, I can see them because they know They've seen what it's about, and it scares them because they're locked in their yeah. own world, whatever. Which where this we, is how it should where be. Where we came from, yeah. and that's how we're. You know, yeah. sometimes we'll fight against that yeah. inside because it's so different. Well, it's so great to hear you guys talk yeah. about it. Like we're just kind of learning and hear other people's stories. Cause, cool. Like that's how you learn. Like I'd, I'd rather learn through a story than a textbook anyway. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> audio for the interview so a few of you amazing people in my life and O'Shea's life uh, decided to take the time to write your thoughts out and to give us a little thumbs up on our episode and I'd like to thank you all for even just friggin listening to the episode I will say what episode they're talking about so uh, I had a friend say 
this is related to uh, Mike's episode and largely around the racism conversation. Um, so he was saying that he said, great podcast again, Danny. Ashay's LAPD story blew me away. He's a better man than I for being able to talk about that without sounding bitter. I'd be pissed. And then he said, your friend was really impressive. Uh, Mike was really well-spoken. Urban planning is definitely something that uh, this individual loves listening to, and there's a lot of interesting theories on how economic segregation causes a self-perpetuating cycle and some interesting comparisons between Canada and the U.S. Uh, if, and then if people from low-income houses had the opportunity to network with higher-income folks, they might have a better chance of escaping poverty themselves, but it's hard uh, for urban planners to mix the two together. Uh yeah, thank you for that great feedback. I think there was a lot you said there that was really, really great, especially around uh, Mike's episode. And then there's areas that you mentioned that we could have expanded on that we didn't. Uh, I do want to say this in terms of being pissed. I uh, I wasn't pissed, but I pissed my pants. So if that counts, then we're on the same page, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible joke. I make dad jokes all the time. Y'all will get it. Um my friend also said interestingly same it's the same episode so mike's episode um that yes drugs she grew up with me so it's yes drugs were a common theme of uh, of things that were talked about which made no sense at the time um because we didn't do drugs and then as we grew up we were uh, more aware that like we thought oh it's a small town like there's insane drug problems in small towns and and the percentage of demographics in our town also, she was shocked. Like, we were in the town, and we were still shocked by the numbers being 97% white. Um, so it's just an interesting conversation that she was reflecting on. I really appreciated her uh, reflection of that episode. I also got some uh, nice feedback from one of my friends. Um, his comment was, he liked the podcast, but he had a difficult time understanding what the goal of the podcast <laughs> is. Great, great call. Um, fuck you, but great call. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Isn't the title self-explanatory uh, enough? Yeah, if it wasn't clear. Um, okay, my friend tell me. He say, what is goal of podcast? <laughs> I said, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Look at title. Title is fuck small talk. We do not talk small on this podcast. Uh, we really, our goal is to stimulate conversation and thought. No matter who listens to it, we just want to make sure that you're getting value in that. Making people think about some of these things that maybe aren't so easy to articulate. So that's the goal. There you go. And I, just to add on to that, Ashay, I just wanted to say that for me, and I've mentioned this as a theme throughout the episodes, is I want to give people a platform to share their story. And this podcast may not be a wide platform um (laughs) (laughs) it is a platform it is a platform and i want them to feel like they have a place to share their story and for us for it to spark conversation very small platform i mean we're doing all right like three foot diving board at your local pool platform (laughs) (laughs) the The narrowest the waiting the waiting pool at at the local ymca yeah but it's still a platform and it's still helping us uh, expand our, our minds and our perspectives. So yeah. I appreciate everybody who's been a part of this podcast so far. Yes. Thank you so much to everyone that's been a part of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, you can shoot us an email 
by emailing fsmalltalk at gmail.com, reach out to us on Instagram at fsmalltalk, or visit our website, fsmalltalk.com. We wanted to give a big thank you to our lovely and talented friend Ada for the musical considerations. She's an amazing up-and-coming independent recording artist specializing in R&B, pop, and funk. She's available for collabs and shows, so if you liked what you heard, simply hit her up on Instagram, at AidaSoLive. That's at A-I-D-A so live. If you want to hear more of her stuff, you can find her at soundcloud.com forward slash Ada so live. That's soundcloud.com forward slash A-I-D-A so live. She's amazing, so definitely go check her out. A big thank you also goes out to Lonnie for producing the awesome track you heard. He is an R&B and hip-hop producer who's worked with major artists, including Drake, Beyonce, and Lil Wayne. He's available to work with at his Toronto studio, so if you're interested, simply check him out on Instagram at HitHouseToronto. That's at HitHouseToronto. So again, big thank you to Ada and Lonnie. This podcast was brought to you by us. And also beer. And also coffee. Because what is sleep even? Also, hi mom. Love you.